1. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. This will be part 2 of what we, uh, what we started last week. We've got to finish what we started last week. So, <laughs> um, hope you're ready for it. I want to encourage you also. Um, I was talking with Mike McCarter when I came in this morning, and, and he was all excited about um, a, a phrase uh, that, that jumped out at him last week in the text. Him and Kirk got together this week and started looking at this phrase, and I, I want to encourage the rest of you um, to, to do treasure hunts. Um, when I stand up here on a Sunday or chat or anybody and preach for 30 minutes or 35 minutes, um, I'm kind of doing a flyover. Uh, my job here in preaching in a monologue is to get to the heart of a text, right? Um, so that we understand the heart of what's being said. We walk out with the right thing. But there's a lot of details in there. Uh, there's a lot of smaller stuff that, like detours that you can go on that are well worth going on. You will be blessed the farther that you dig into the word of God. Um, God will increase the blessing, I guarantee it. And so I just want to encourage you guys to do um, what these guys did this week, um, because there's some things that I'm not going to be able to focus too much on. It's just too much. Um, so uh, go home and, and be students of the word, you know, um, and yeah, you'll be rewarded like big time. Um, sometimes you won't even realize um, how much time has gone by. I remember locking myself. There, there came to this point where I, I finally got this hunger for the word and, and started seeing, wow, like the farther you go, like the bigger God is and, and the deeper he is and the wider he is. And I remember one time like sticking myself in, in one of the rooms for like two days and closing the door. And my wife would just peek in every once in a while. She'd be like, are you all right? You know, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm living, you know, but I was just, I, I had hit that spot uh, where God was just, was, was just where, I, where I hit the, basically the mother load and, and I just kept getting and getting and seeing and seeing more of, more of the Lord the farther down the hole I went. So I would encourage you guys to do that. That was kind of a neat, a neat thing for, for him to share this morning. All right, our text is 19 uh, to the end of the chapter, verse 27 of James chapter 1. Uh, last week we did 19, 20, 21. Uh, this week we'll finish what we started, but we'll read the whole text. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is kind of the bulk of what we talked about last week. Um, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at one, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, first let's recap just super briefly. Last week, 1920-21, as Christians, you and I are to be students 
first. We're students. So we don't, we don't meet Jesus and then come into the church as a student. We meet Jesus and we come into the church as a student. And then we remain a student. In fact, I would argue that, uh, that those who are growing in Christ uh, uh, become bigger students, greater students, the more time they've spent, the more that time goes on. I used to think that I knew so much when I first met the Lord. You know what I mean? I, I used to just compartmentalize and, and, and just kind of throw everything into this blender and think that uh, I, I had it kind of um, under control, that I could wrap my hands around who God is and what this Christian thing's all about. And I was so wrong. The more that I have learned and spent time in the Word over the years, the more I know I don't know a lot. It is a well that cannot be exhausted, which is why it's such a blessing to go down. It's, it's such a blessing to travel down the holes. You cannot exhaust what God has revealed about himself here with any amount of time. It just gives. It's the gift that keeps on giving, like literally, over and over again. So what we see, James really, uh, his heart in the first few verses is that we need to be students. He tells us that by saying, you need to be quick to listen, right? Like, like we talked about, take the cotton out of your ears and stick it in your mouth. Just like I was told as a, as a young Christian, right? It's time to stop thinking that you have these things all figured out and that you always have something to say. It's time to sit down and be a student and start learning, Start listening. It is imperative that we receive, like James says, the implanted word of God. That's step one. That we receive the word. And we all know that the word is not just black ink on white pages. We know that the word is a person, right? And once that person resides within us, we receive that. Then, that soil is able to bring forth something that busts through the surface, that goes from the inside out, not the outside in. That's the difference with Christianity. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. We don't clean ourselves up so that we can come to Jesus. We come to Jesus, he cleans us up. That word goes in, it gets planted, the seed busts open, and stuff starts sprouting from the inside out. Stuff starts penetrating the surface by the grace of God. We can receive things without receiving them for ourselves. We can hear things without appropriating them to ourselves. We can learn and know things without making them true for us. How good are you guys at coming and hearing a sermon like this on a Sunday for someone else? Like I'm an expert. Like I don't know how many times like I've, I've heard a sermon I've been like, oh, my wife's listening to this right now. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I wish like, I wish like so-and-so was here. Dang, I, I don't see him here today. They need to be hearing this, you know? Am I the only one or are you guys pretty good at that? When I read the Bible, I'll come to the word of God sometimes and I'll be like, you know who needs to read this? Like, <laughs> and if it's someone in my house, it's like, oh, this, I'm going to put this up on the fridge, you know? 
It's funny how good we are at judging others with a measure that we don't even apply to ourselves. Everything that's given to us here is for us first. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm anything special. I am not above you. Everything that I come and I share with you on a Sunday that God has shared with me the rest of the week, I need to be the first one on the beach. I need to like examine myself first with what's going on here. That's why sometimes I get a little personal and I get a little honest and, and I share stories of how the text is affecting me is because I want you to know me first. This is for me first. And it's for you first when you come to it. God is concerned with you when it comes to your relationship with him. God is concerned with me when it comes to my relationship with him. What happens with them is God's concern with them. So we are to come and be listeners and receive from God first. Students, which kind of brings us up to speed with where we are. Because James says, don't, don't, even, don't only receive it though. Don't, don't only listen to it. Don't only hear it, but be doers of what you hear. Be doers of what you receive, right? Otherwise you're deceiving yourself. And then he gives us this analogy in verses 23 and 24, right? Here's the analogy. You got a dude that goes to the mirror, he takes a look in it, he walks away, forgets what he saw, okay, basically. Any of you ever done that? I don't know about you, but I have a really good forgetter, like a, like a super good forgetter. Um, but what I found with, in 47 years of living with myself is that it, like, it's pretty selective forgetter. Um, so if someone's basically like wronged me somehow, like I'll remember that pretty good. Um, if I've wronged someone else, um, I'm pretty good at playing it down. Pretty, pretty good at forgetting, uh, what it is that I've done. Anyone else in this room? Nope. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm good at shutting it out and, and going about my business. Um, but in general, we have a pretty good forgetter. You ever noticed how pumped up people can be when they go to, let's say, like a conference? You ever been to a conference? Or like a revival or like a, a Christian retreat? And you go and you spend a couple days with a bunch of other Christians and, um, and you get pumped up. You, you come back pumped up. Um, but how long does it last? Uh, like it, it fades pretty quick, right? And the reason it fades pretty quick is because the, the experience of everything that's gone on, the way it went on is really powerful. It's really inspiring. But it fades because we're not actually receiving and holding on to that which we just heard. And so pretty soon we go back to uh, uh, the same state we were before. It never seems to last too long. Um, we have good forgetters. Um, I, I'm under the impression that you guys forget anything that you hear in a sermon by Tuesday morning. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, that's close to right for me. That's about where I'm at. 
Um, why do we look in mirrors? Why do we look in mirrors? We look in mirrors to see how presentable we are or aren't, right? We look because it shows us something that we wouldn't otherwise see that is true. It is the mirror that informs us of who we are, presentable or not. It shows us if we're having a good hair day or a bad hair day, right? It, it, and, and if we're not having a good hair day, it aids us in being able to do something about it. James is like, James is like, dude, I don't have those, bro. <laughs> All right, how about this one? It shows you, James, if you have a piece of breakfast stuck in your mustache or beard or not. Huh? If you got like a booger hanging out of your nose, you know, not to get gross, but like a mirror will show you that, right? I remember uh, when I was doing chimneys, uh, the first few years I was doing chimneys, I could not keep the soot off of me. I was filthy, filthy all the time. And I wouldn't clean up or look in mirrors during the day. I would just like hop as quick as I could from one job to the next. And so you've got this soot that you're working with, like charcoal, man, all over your hands. And during the period of the day, like you're going to touch something without knowing it. Like you're going to itch a, you're going to, you know, scratch something that itches on your face or something like that. And I remember going through this day once, I was, I was actually like in Walmart or something, grabbing some vacuum bags, like in between jobs, and I ran into somebody. And it was like a friend of mine, and he's sitting there just looking at me funny, and I'm like, like, what's up, you know? And he finally says, like, dude, have you, like, looked in the mirror lately? And I was like, like, no, why? And he's like, because you look like Hitler. So I had, like, rubbed, I had rubbed like this bl perfect black like Hitler mustache, like across there and just went on about my day, <laughs> right? Which probably didn't like, didn't communicate a very good message to people that were looking at me. They were probably like, what's this, what's this dude trying to do, you know? New trend or something? But that's, that's why we look in mirrors. That, that's why mirrors are helpful, right? The, the mirror reveals to us a discrepancy that needs to be corrected. But what if we don't care about the discrepancy? If we see it and we don't do anything about it, then we'll just walk away from the truth of what is there and soon forget that it's there. We'll just go on about our business in public and others and God with that thing that we have been made aware of. It's ugly and it's foolish, and this is the analogy that James is using. If we just read the word, because that's what Christians are supposed to do, but don't do anything with what's being revealed to us when we look into that perfect mirror, that perfect reveal, then what good is it? What is the benefit? It means nothing. If we return to the end of verse 22, we're told that the one who does this, hears without doing, deceives himself. That's scary. You know what it means to deceive yourself, right? It means to trick yourself. It means to fool yourself. It's to, it means that you think one way or perceive yourself one way, but it's not at all true. That's what we're doing when we're only reading the word 
and not putting it into practice. We're fooling ourselves. We're even cheating ourselves. And James is urging us here to claim the practices of Christ, to claim the action steps of what it is that we're looking at, to do something about what we see, which equals blessing for the believer. It's funny, a lot of us, um, a lot of Christians like to claim things. Have you heard this? I claim this verse. I claim that verse. There's a lot of claiming that goes on with people sometimes. And if you notice, they're all blessings. They're all things that are just nothing, nothing but good benefits for them. I, I claim this on my life. I claim this on your life. But do we ever claim practices in the word? Do we ever look at a practice of Christ and say, I'm going to make that mine. I claim that. Do we ever come to verses of obedience and go, I'm going to claim that? We usually don't. I mean, I, I know I don't. I want the stuff that doesn't require work, that's, that's free gifted, right, um, without, doing, without any turmoil, you know, without any work. But James is actually saying, if, as Christ followers, this practice is yours to claim. To do what it is that you see. To do what it is that you hear. And that doesn't mean that God loves you based upon what you can do. It means that you're able to do something now that pleases him because God already loves you. Verse 25, I know we're moving fast. There's a lot here. I, I was almost going to split this one up into two more sermons, so I know that we're going to move kind of quick. Verse 25, Jesus has, us, uh, has given us a mirror referred to as the perfect law of liberty to peer into. Not to leave us staring at an image that cannot be helped, but to show us an image that can now be helped due to his fulfilling work of the law on our behalf. I know this is a little confusing, but this is a big deal, right? See, due to Jesus' perfect and thorough fulfillment of the law on our behalf, we no longer look into a law that merely kills us, that merely condemns us to hell. But we now look into a law that gives life and sight and blessing. That's what Christ has given us. It, it is no longer a law which only traps us to hell, but one that shows us how to walk in life and blessing before him. One that is life-giving when walked in. One that imparts life and blessing when persevered in, which is the word that James uses here, which means when we stay there, when we remain there. So we claim that. And then he goes on to say this in 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's pretty hardcore. There's that tongue thing again, right? These guys had a problem with their mouths. James has something very specific in mind when he's talking about this. Now, many of us will find 
this verse very weird because it speaks of Christians as being religious. And that's because whether we like it or not, we are. We are. One of our favorite things to say to people as Christians this day and age is Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Right? You guys ever said that to somebody? You guys ever had it said to you? I don't know how many times I've said there, there was a time in my life, like a three out, like a three-year period, where that was like my favorite thing to say to people. You know what I mean? Like I used it up. But the truth is that what we have in and with Christ Jesus is both. We have a relationship that leads to religion. See, the relationship that we have with Christ brings about religious activities. It's just true. You can't get away from it, right? And James here is clearly implying that religion is most definitely a part of or involved in Christianity, our Christianity. What's up with that? Well, what does the word religion or religious mean? The definition is basically boils down to devotion or dedication. Say devotion or a dedication due to belief or a system of faith. And when we use the words belief or system of faith, it has nothing to do with God necessarily. We need to keep that in mind, right? It's piety. It's a system of faith or worship, which again, doesn't require God. It's a life practice. That's why we say so-and-so does such-and-such religiously. It doesn't mean that they're a Christian or we're talking about, or it has anything to do with God. People can do things religiously, and that's exactly how we communicate it, right? We're not saying that they live within a system of belief. We're just saying that they live within a system of practice concerning whatever their belief is. In other words, a person's religion is anything that drives a practice based upon their belief system or worldview. Having said that, let me submit to you that as a result of the definition of religion, everybody that has ever existed in some way, on some level, is religious. Even God deniers, even God haters. And this is true because your object of worship is not what makes you religious, but the fact that we do all worship someone or something does. Did you know that we're all worshipers? Every single human being that's ever been born, even the nastiest, vilest, most wicked human being that's ever been born and walked this earth is a worshiper. We all worship. We were made to worship. We were designed to worship. The problem is when the fall came in, our worship just went haywire. And we went from worshiping the only thing, the only one worthy of worship, to anything we can get our hands on or look at or put our minds to. Our religion, what it looks like and how it works itself out is directly connected to and determined by what we worship. And it's based on our individual worldview and beliefs, not an organization like this. Okay? You guys see the difference? For instance, <clears throat> this is a total overgeneralization, and I know that, okay? 
but I'm going to do it anyway. Naturalists. Worshippers of Mother Earth. Not God. They're usually going to develop a lifestyle of Earth consciousness. Right? They're going to recycle well. That's going to be like their greatest religious act is to make sure the plastics get here and the glass gets here and the cardboard gets here. And they're going to do it really well because that's their act of righteousness based upon their religion, based upon what they worship. They're going to be ultra-conscious of what they eat, usually, where their food comes from, how it affects the natural world, where they shop. They're going to be pay careful attention to the companies they support and those companies' practices in light of being eco-friendly. They will drive certain cars and they will shame people that drive others. They will be committed to religious practices, in other words, that leave the smallest footprint possible on their object of worship. Because they're committed and they're devoted to a lifestyle that supports and lines up with their object of worship, which is nature. And these acts are religious acts without Jesus or God having anything to do with any of it. Right? If someone is committed to playing video games for the rest of their life, they will be committed to not getting a job and not leaving their parents home and not getting any chicks. Right? Their world is going to revolve around meeting the goal of, of what it is they worship. Right? If you're a Christian and you're holding to and believing in a Christian worldview which is found here in the Bible, there are practices and there is devotion that goes toward living out what you say you believe. In your attempt and devotion to follow Jesus, there are practices that are developed due to our desire to fully worship Jesus. This would be considered religious activity. That I practice assembling like this with you guys on a Sunday, coming to church with the saints, is part of that. My Bible tells me not to forsake it. And so in a sense, this is a religious activity. Right? Prayer. That's how I talk to God. That's how I communicate. Reading my Bible. That's how he communicates. Religious activities. Evangelizing. Right? Making the name and fame of Jesus huge wherever we go. Testifying of the glory of God and Christ. Religious activity. Making disciples, loving others, serving others are acts of religion or practice as a result of what I believe to be true and important based upon what I'm told by my object of worship, which is Jesus. Right? And James is simply saying to his listeners, this is what it looks like. Have any of you seen a progression in your Christian lives? An evolution, if you will. In your understanding of what it is to follow Christ. I have. Like the way I think now, like 
what I focus on as far as what God wants from me as a child of his living on earth is a lot different than what I thought it was when I first came in here. I used to think that to do well in following Christ meant to not cuss, to not drink, to not cheat on my wife, to not watch any bad movies, <laughs> to not listen to any secular music. And I'm telling you, like that last one, like I actually, I'm a, if any of you know me, like a close second for my object of worship in my life is good music. Like it's almost an idol to me. I think it has been at times. And I had an extensive library when I became a believer. There was a lot of money in that library. I spent a long time putting this, this collection together. And because I thought that that's what it meant to follow Christ and that's what God wanted more than anything from me, I went and sold that collection. It, wasn't like a, it was like a year later when I went and scrambled to start buying it back. These are all fine things to do. There's nothing wrong with them. The problem is that I used to think that if I was able to hold to these things well, I was doing everything God was pleased with and expected of me as a child of God. And it's not true. I ignored the gazillion other things going on in me or not going on in me that mattered more to him. And as a result, my religion became all about my ability to hold to my superficial, behavioral modifications that I could do for God rather than having a heart for God by walking in what I saw Jesus walk in. Like loving others. Like loving others. Like loving others in word, what comes out of our mouth, and loving others in deed by serving them and seeking them out. You know the things that Jesus used to turn the world upside down with? Those things. Especially when it comes to the underdogs of society. Do we have any underdogs in here? I'm one. I was a throwaway. But not to Jesus. Jesus came for the marginalized. He came for the needy. He came for the underdogs, like widows and orphans. I think it may look funny to us as Americans living in the time we live in to look at that and go, really? Like, out of all the groups of people, like, he could have picked out, like, he picked out them? At, at that time, they were about as underdog as you got. If we think that we're rocking it for Jesus in our own narrow ways by only listening to Christian music and attending church every Sunday and dropping some crumbs in the box on our way out but not dedicated to loving others in word and deed, then our religion, our dedication, according to James, is worthless. Now, it doesn't mean that we're worthless to God, but our practice our religious activity is worthless if it's not the right stuff. It doesn't mean that we're not saved. It just means that we're misinformed. It means that we're deceived. 
in what we think it is that God wants and has us here for. Again, I don't want us to forget how uh, James starts off this section. If you peek back at 19, know this, my beloved brothers. He does not think he's talking to people who really aren't saved. He knows he's talking to people who really are. Okay? They're just misinformed. They're just not very threatening. He goes on to say that a pure and an undefiled religion is one that loves the unloved. Those are my words. It's one that loves those who are not loved. That's how we can break this down. Maybe even ones that are unlovable. Do we have any of those in here? Welcome. If we are to consider that widows and orphans, what they have in common, it's not hard to come up with the commonality being a people who are alone. A people who are alone. They are uncared for, they are unprotected, they are vulnerable, and oftentimes that's working itself out in the reality of them being unloved, which means that in a society they are marginalized, they are throwaways, right? Desolate, and due to all these things, afflicted. This description holds a direct resemblance to those whom Christ came for, doesn't it? It does, but on a spiritual level, on a spiritual level. Jesus came for the spiritually bankrupt. Jesus came for the spiritually desolate. And he came for the spiritually orphaned. And he came for the spiritually afflicted. The one with no husband and the one with no father. The one with no security and no protection and no care and no inheritance. He came to make up for and correct all the spiritual deficits in us. And he didn't do it by saying, come over here to where I am and start working your way towards something better. Crawl out of the hole that you're in. Work your way out of your affliction. He did it by leaving his rightful place in glory and coming to where we were and gifting us with something better than we've ever had. James, in a sense, is saying, you know what real religion is? Real commitment, practice, devotion to Jesus looks like? It looks like what Jesus did for you. So don't just read about it. Don't just hear it. Don't just know it. Go and live it. And then James would go on to say, oh, and by the way, as you go on living this out, be different in how you live it out. Very end of verse 27, right? To keep oneself unstained from the world. This is a harder one to do. Do it in a way that's otherworldly. Be different, be unique, be holy, be set apart, be countercultural. Again, just like Jesus did when he came into the world for the marginalized. See, it, 
it wasn't just what Jesus came to do that's so amazing. It's how he did it that's equally amazing. You guys ever think about that? It isn't just that Jesus died for us that makes him victor. It's also that he lived for us. First, a life that we could not come close to resembling, but he, but he lived for us before he died for us, right? It is these two things together that turn the world upside down, and so too it is for you and I here in this little place that most people do not know exists called Lapine, Oregon. If we want to have an impact for the glory of God in this little town, then we must be doers. We must look like Jesus. We will never be like him. We will never be perfect. We will never take his place. But he is there for us to emulate what love looks like, what pure and undefiled religion looks like. And if we do, if we get off our cruise ship thinking of what the church is about and here for, we will turn back into a battleship and you and I will start going out and leaving permanent marks on this place. We will start going out and doing things that leave eternal marks on people's lives. I don't know about you, but I get sick of nominal Christianity. And part of what I hate so much about it is that that's my default. I want to come, I want to hear a good sermon. I want to hear, sing a couple good worship songs, right? Give a couple people hugs, and then just go. What James is saying here is that if we, take, if we become doers and not hearers only, we will be world changers. Do you know how many guys Jesus used to flip this world upside down? Eleven. Eleven. And they didn't go to seminary. They weren't educated in their theology. They were underdogs, like me and like you. People that aren't supposed to be here doing what we're doing. And it's because they were doers of the object of their worship. They emulated him. They trusted him. They believed him. And then they went and they walked in it. And it changed everything. And you and I can do that too every day. Our hearts need to burn daily, guys. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your church attendance is like. If you love the Lord and you live in this community, you need to have a heart that burns for your neighbor. You need to have a heart that burns for your enemy. And then you need to go and do something radical and unexpected. Do something about it. We have permission. We have permission to go and be as crazy and radical for Jesus and the gospel of Christ as we want to be. The problem is that we just don't want to be. A guy named J.D. Greer, um, 
said, cross the line exhausted. I like that. Cross the line exhausted. Just worn out, tapped out. Using everything that you had in the tank like we get the sense of from the Apostle Paul where the dude was just so battered and just so beat for running the race for the sake of the gospel of Christ that he had nothing and how beautiful is it that he had nothing when he crossed that line. Crossed the line exhausted. I'm not I'm not putting duty on you. I hope you hear the difference. I said duty. (laughs) I'm not putting rocks in your bag, hopefully, by saying everything that I'm saying. That is where, as followers and children of Jesus, our true happiness lies, is in walking in the fullness of everything that he's given us to walk in. We're actually deceiving and cheating ourselves when we don't. We're settling for this thing down here and calling it joy and fulfillment when it's actually up here and extremely attainable. So let's be doers instead of hearers only with what it is that God's given us. I love you guys and I love this little church a lot. It's a humble little place that I think Jesus wants to do big things out of. And it ain't gonna happen because I get paid to do what I do. It's going to happen when every single one of you jump on the bus and say, I'll go. I want to do what I've read. I want to do what I've heard about. It's us. Lord God, thank you for being for the underdog. Thank you for um, leaving your place in glory to pursue, to insist upon having the marginalized and the ugly and the spiritually bankrupt and the throwaways of society like me. I don't understand a love like that, but I wanna wanna know it. I wanna possess it. I wanna have that kind of love so that I do the things that you did in loving others that are still out there bankrupt, marginalized, thrown away. God, make this place, this little humble church here, known for the love that we have, the radical love that we have for outsiders, for people who do not yet know you. Make us like you. Make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen.